again. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Great to be with you. And, you know, I always tell myself I'm going to remember, and this morning I did, welcome to everybody who's joining us live online as well. There's always a couple hundred people, and I mean to say that every Sunday, and I don't always remember. So it's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you. You probably already know that the parking lot was my fault after first service again, so I apologize for that five minutes too long, and I create chaos. So uh, thank you for your patience, and thank you for your grace. I really love the stories that I hear from the security guys when the parking lot gets crazy. They talk about how kind you are. They talk about how nice and patient you are. Maybe they're just high or something. I don't know, but they tell me that uh, every week. But uh, anyway... It's good to be with you, and if you're wondering, this is your last moment with the mustache. It goes away today, uh, this afternoon, my wife said. <laughs> we, we thought we'd have a little fundraiser where you could take a picture with the mustache, and then we could give a missions thing, but we decided not to do that. But uh, No, anyway, so silly stuff, but uh, my wife has spoken. She is in charge, so that's what's going to happen. Um, but listen, just a couple of quick announcements, and then, and then this is a really special morning, kind of a bittersweet morning, a lot of sweet, a little bitter. We'll talk about that in a moment, but quick announcements. First of all, uh, this Saturday, fellas, will be our, our dad's men's conference. It's going to happen, dad in an earthly sense and in a spiritual sense. Um, so that's going to happen this Saturday morning. We'll serve breakfast at 7 o'clock. That's early, I know. So come in your PJs, come in your sweats. Please put something on besides your briefs, but come on in and, and uh, we'll have breakfast at seven and then we'll be done by three. That's this Saturday. You're invited. Everybody you know is invited. So uh, that's going to happen this week. Great stuff. And then in just three weeks from this last Friday, so uh, two weeks from this Friday, will be the ladies conference. That's also going to happen here in the sanctuary. That's the Beth Moore simulcast. It's a terrific time coming up. All, everything free as always. Everybody invited as always. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Lady, you want to take note of that Friday night, Saturday morning, kind of a two-part thing that's happening there. So be aware of that. Um, I said bittersweet this morning. Uh, this morning is Pastor Josh and Nicole's last Sunday with us. Where are they? I just saw them. There they are. Come on up front, you guys. Just so you know, we're doing this every service. So this is their second time through. So everything you see them feeling and thinking, it's just fake. They already did that in first service. Second service is all about doing that again. But no, in case you're not aware... It was five and a half years ago that uh, Pastor Josh accepted an invitation to become an intern here at MRCC. He was coming from Northwest University, and he came in a part-time mode and worked on his own and served his head and heart off. And then as the years went by, he earned his biblical education. He earned his credentials in the Assemblies of God as a pastor. He's earned all that. He earned his wife who came in, Nicole, uh, came partway through that journey. And she's had a wonderful journey as well. She was a brand new greenhorn rookie nurse a few years ago. Now she's all experienced and doing surgery in the street. It's amazing how far she's come. But... But the plan, the plan all along was that we said, if we're a healthy church, if we're uh, a church like God wants us to be, we should be raising up the next generation, helping to support and train them, and then sending them out to serve in the kingdom. And after five and a half years between the internship, Josh became our full-time youth pastor. He and Nicole, for the last two and a half, almost three years, been serving together through some tough times. 
And uh, through that time, have had a wonderful, fruitful outreach in our community, touched so many lives. And then about six weeks ago, they accepted a call, something we always knew was coming and we're looking forward to. They accepted a call to become youth pastors in Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, and they're actually driving the end of the week to Gilbert, Arizona. I was telling him, you go south, so just keep going south and he'll get there. But let's just take a moment, turn your attention to the screen. Let's just reflect on their time with us. Then we're going to pray over them and we're going to send them out knowing that at the end of the road, we come back together again. Amen. Take a, a look at the screen here. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's more to that, like we said, so it's, it, it's online. But it's our joy as a church to celebrate this journey and to celebrate the next chapter for them as they head out. So we have blessed them with a gift as they get ready to go. But the most important gift we're going to give them is our prayers. And I want to ask you, if you would, please, church, just to stand up and, and maybe stretch your hand out, raise your hand towards them. And let's pray God's blessing over our own as they go into awful exile in Arizona. Let's pray for that. Let's, let's, let's pray together. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we lift our friends to you, and we thank you that we got to be part of their journey, their calling. And Lord, we look forward to the ministry that you are going to lead them in, in Gilbert, Arizona, with that church. God, we pray your anointing, your blessing over them. We pray that all that they have learned and all that they carry in their hearts would become even more fruitful there as they touch the lives of young men and women. We pray for that, God. We ask your blessing on them. We pray your blessing over their marriage as they move away from family and, and longtime friends and you grow them together in a way like never before. We pray your blessing on their marriage, God. We thank you for letting us be part of their journey. And God, we just, we just pray one more blessing. We pray that you would make them fertile and give them a dozen children. We pray for that and ask your blessing over them as we rejoice in them in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just celebrate, church? Can we celebrate a little bit? Hey, buddy. Yeah. Hey, sis. Love you. Yeah. Yeah, be seated, please. And what a happy time. There were four who came into that internship, and this is the second one we've got rid of. So only two more, uh, and we will be celebrating. No, we're kidding because we can, because we're close, and because we love. So 
big, big, neat uh, time. And, and just so you know, church, uh, we are deep in the process of uh, praying and seeking who would be our next youth pastor. Uh, we're already into interviews and talking to people, and we will have uh, keep you updated on that going all the way forward until we get to the point where we know who that is. Uh, and would you be praying for that person who's going to take up the reins and uh, continue to lead MRCC in reaching teenagers in our area? So important stuff. In the meantime, we've got a great volunteer team. We've got our great staff that's already already involved that's going to continue to lead that ministry forward so it's in good hands uh, but we are praying about who's who's next uh, on the chopping block not the chopping block but who's next uh, in that in that season grab your bible if you would this morning church and open it to a familiar place to luke's gospel chapter 15 and in the time that we have left um God wants to talk to us about kind of the next step in this journey we've been exploring all month. What we've been talking about is the fact that God wants us to experience him in an ever-increasing way. And there are some, some signposts on that journey, some mile markers that we grow up into and through. God wants us, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, first to experience him as Savior. If you don't know God this morning, know this. He seeks you, and he seeks to reveal himself to you as your Savior. And we talked about what that means and how that happens a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about the fact that the journey doesn't end there. That what God sets out to do next is to, to help us experience him as Lord, to experience his leadership in our life and the blessings that come from it, the freedom that flows from that. That's why Jesus came. He invites us to take his yoke upon us, he said, and his yoke is easy and light will set us free. And so we talked about experiencing God as Lord, Savior, Lord. This morning, he wants to talk to us about experiencing him as Father, personally, intimately, not in an administrative way, but one-to-one. -one. He wants us to experience him as Father. And then ultimately next week when we round this up, it's all about his goal, his ultimate goal, which is that you and me would experience God as friend, as best friend, as the friend that sticks closer than a brother, the scripture says. And we're going to get into that next week. But this morning, he wants to talk about you and me experiencing him as father. And let me begin by asking you a question. Do you ever get a little undignified? Do you ever just kind of lose it, forget about yourself and go crazy? All of us do, and all of us do it for different reasons. We get undignified when something is so fun that we forget everything else. Some of us are experiencing that for the first time. Those of us who are Mariners fans, experiencing the Mariners winning is like a brand new thing, and we get excited about that. Huskies are feeling that this morning. Not so much Cougars, but they will. It'll come back around. And Yeah, when, when we care about something and, and we're so excited by it that, that we kind of forget about ourselves, it also happens when we love someone so much that we're able to forget about ourselves. I remember a guy I knew in another church that I served many years ago. He's a truck driver, great big guy, 6'4", you know, a lot of pounds. And he lived in his truck and drove it year-round all across the country back and forth. And, and he invited me to go to lunch with him one day when he was coming through town, climbed up into his truck, this giant rig. He would pull double trailers behind it, had his house in there. And he also had this little two-pound rodent he called a dog. <laughs> 
And the way he behaved around that dog was completely undignified. He went from being this big, scary guy to this guy with his, he called her poopsie. This is my poopsie. And he would go, going, whoa, this is weird. I don't know if I can handle this. But he, he didn't care. He didn't care. He was free to be undignified. When are you free to be undignified. You know, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, but about two and a half years ago was when we got the first notice that they were asking us to go into lockdown. Do you remember that? Those first couple weeks, we're asking everybody to stay home. Nobody knew what to do with that. We're all looking at each other. What? And Rhonda and I were thinking, man, what can we do to kind of reach out to the church and bless people? So we went on Facebook and we posted a dance-off challenge to the whole church. And I warn you, what you're about to see, you will never be able to unsee, all right? It's not going to be long. It's only going to be about 45, 60 seconds. We're not going to show you the whole four minutes, okay? But brace you. If you need to look away, feel free. <laughs> this is what it looks like to get a little undignified. need to experience the rest of that, you can go to Facebook. But seriously, when, when are you free to be undignified? <laughs> God wants us to know what makes him undignified. Oh, have you ever thought about what causes God to become undignified? Some people think God never gets undignified. They think he's above that. They don't know their Bible. They don't know the truth of him that Jesus and the prophets make known to us. They've forgotten that Zephaniah, for example, in chapter 3, verse 17, tells us that he sings and dances over us. Have you ever pictured God singing and dancing over you? I remember when our son was born in the hospital and I held him for the first time and it's an overwhelming experience and I didn't know what to do so I just made up a song for him, you know, as I held him. It's a dumb song. Isaiah Benjamin, Isaiah Benjamin, he's our man for president, Isaiah Benjamin. That's all I could come up with, all right, in the moment. God gets like that over us, the prophet says. Genesis tells us that he, he gets down on his hands and knees and breathes his life into us when he creates us. Think about that. Wow. God gets undignified over us. Hosea tells us in chapter 2 that when Israel committed adultery against him, violated that love relationship, the scripture says that God didn't withdraw in wounded pride and protect himself in anger. Hosea tells us that his response to Israel was to become undignified. He said, you've betrayed me, therefore I will seek you in the desert. I will woo you and win you back to me. Wow. M many of us would say, 
that when we've been treated like that, our pride would never let us experience that kind of undignified moment. But God, he does that. And, and maybe the ultimate example, when Jesus surrenders himself to the cross, arrested by an unjust government, tortured, beaten, ridiculed, mocked, and killed on our behalf. Something he could have stopped at any moment. But we mattered so much to him that he was willing, in fact, eager to become undignified. God wants to talk to us about that this morning. Jesus wants to tell us a story, a familiar story, maybe a story that's too familiar. And he wants to tell us this story because at the heart of it is the revelation that God gets undignified over us because he loves us that much. I invited you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Let's listen to Jesus tell a story, the point of which is a moment when God becomes undignified over you and me. The story begins in verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke. I said it's a familiar one. It's maybe the most familiar one, but for that very reason, sometimes we lose touch with it. Let yourself hear it for the first time this morning. Jesus said this, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to earn it. I want it now. Give it to me now. Legally, I know that you intend to. I don't want to wait for that. Give me my share of the inheritance now. And the story immediately grabs our attention, and it would have grabbed the attention of his first century audience even more pointedly because Jesus says that the father divided his property between them. In other words, he gave in to his son's demand. Now, this is a completely unusual request that would have startled Jesus's audience on a number of levels. First of all, the son is being rebellious and disrespectful in this moment. The father in that culture, in that context, we'll talk more about that in a moment, was an absolute authority. You didn't march up to him and demand your rights. You didn't march up to him and demand anything. He was a king in his own home. Under both Jewish Old Testament law and under Roman law, a father had life or death authority over his children, over his household. And so to approach him with this kind of impertinence, this kind of disrespect, is shocking. And then it's shocking to see the father respond by acquiescing, by giving him his inheritance. And it, it, we can get a sense of it because we know he's not ready for it. And the story is going to show us how unready for this he is. And it's, I think it's poignant to realize that the father in this moment would have been deeply wounded. Imagine if your son or daughter came to you and said, hey, I like my inheritance now. I want my stuff, but I don't want you. I want you to give me what it, you're going to someday give me. I want you to do it now so I can leave and get away from you and your household and all of its rules. I always remember a conversation I had with the, the chief uh, uh, financial relations consultant for the Save the Storks Worldwide Pro-Life uh, Movement headquartered in Colorado Springs. We were there to speak at a conference, and, and I got to sit at lunch with the gentleman who meets with the big donors to Save the Storks from around the world. We're talking multimillionaires, multibillionaires. And you know what he told me? He told me something I'll never forget. He said, most of these guys are incredibly lonely and hurt, and gals. <laughs> 
He told me the story of a man who's a multi-billionaire whose four sons all live in huge homes that he bought for them. They don't have mortgages. Who all hold advanced educations that he paid for. Who hold positions in his many businesses. But none of them will speak to him because they feel he hasn't given them enough. <laughs> if you can imagine. And, and I, as he shared these stories, I thought I had no idea. This is a moment like that. The son is saying, hey, I want my stuff, but I don't want you. And then the startling moment when the father acquiesces, he gives it to him. Most of us, if we were in the story, we would say, hey, wrote time out. The fact that you're behaving like this clearly shows you're not ready for it. Clearly shows I'm not going to give it to you. In fact, you're making me think about whether I need to revise my will. But in this story, the father doesn't do that. Lots of parents are content to get short-term obedience from their kids and never seek to grow them beyond to the obedience that comes from love. The father in this story is playing a long game. He's got a big picture. He doesn't just want to get through this week, this month, this year. He wants to parent this son for a lifetime. Indeed, for eternity. God parents differently, and we become better parents when we learn from him. Think of it this way. How many things in your life has God given you that we weren't ready for yet <laughs> or that you didn't deserve or earn? All of us could tell that story. In this moment, the father does that. And you know what happens next is not a surprise. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. We saw that coming. Not a big surprise. It's hard to be young, somebody say amen. You just, you don't see things yet. And this young man clearly did. When I was young, I was foolish in so many ways. I've shared the story before about when I was 18, after three and a half months in the service, my first three and a half months, they hadn't paid us yet, and then all at once they paid us. On a Friday afternoon, they handed me a $2,500 check. By Sunday night, I had 100 bucks left. That's what it's like to be 18. Maybe you were further along than me, I wasn't. No one gets old and wise without first being young and foolish. This son is in his young and foolish moment. But let me invite you to consider before we move on, how much of the wisdom you have now came from the mistakes you made then? And have you lost track of the fact that the younger people all around you are still learning those lessons and that you of all people should be the most patient with them as they learn those lessons? This son is going through that stage, learning those lessons. And, and in Jesus' story, he says, after the son had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, it's hard for us to grasp the significance of that part of the story, but the audience that Jesus originally told the story to would have went, oh, Feed the pigs. There's no lower place in Jewish culture than to work with the filthiest of all animals, the pig. And this young man finds himself doing exactly that. And he's in need. That means he's hit bottom. We're talking homelessness. We're talking pennilessness. We're talking end of the road. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's hit bottom relationally as well. Burned all his bridges, lost his friends, lost his relationship. He's at bottom. 
This young man in this moment, church, is experiencing the consequences of his actions. Listen, that always happens sooner or later. What goes around comes around. The Bible puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, our Father says. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And this young man is reaping what he sowed. And, and can I just point out for a moment that this is the reason why God hates sin. God's not like the ultimate maker of rules and you better not break his rules because he's in charge. No, no, he hates sin, church, understand, because of what it does to us, because of what it does to me and you. His hatred of sin is not administrative and it's not religious, it's fatherly. He, know, he, he doesn't want this for his son. He never wanted this for his son. The way he was raising his son was designed to prevent this from happening. But the son had rejected that. And as a consequence, he finds himself in this extremity. Look, if, if you think the wicked prosper, it's only because you haven't been watching long enough. It's only because you're not paying attention because they don't. And the son is experiencing that. Father never wanted him to lose everything. That wasn't his plan. But understand, church, this is kind of the first thing this morning. We experience God's fatherhood when we surrender to his household rules. Yeah, we call them the Ten Commandments. They talk about our sexuality. They talk about our tongues. They talk about our temper. They talk about our relationship to one another. They talk about our commitment to worship. And those rules are there to bless us. And we receive the gift of God's fathering when we submit to his household rules. The son was unwilling to do that. And now he's experiencing the consequences of that action. I wonder if there's some part of God's household rules that you're resisting, that you're rejecting. And maybe you're rejecting it because you think that somehow he's trying to take away your freedom. The opposite is true. He's trying to teach you how to experience real freedom, which the son has lost in this story. Where are you resisting the father's household rules? Now, Jesus goes on to tell the story. This isn't the end. It keeps going. Verse 17, when he, the son, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. Maybe my father's household rules aren't so bad. I will set out and go back to my father, back to his house, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Wow, that's some humility he's learned. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's significant. We'll come back to it in a moment. So he got up and he went back to his father. If you've departed from the father's household rules, when you turn to go back is when hope is reborn inside of you. When you say to yourself, I will go back to my father, that's when you begin to live again. The longer you put that off, the farther you push that away, the more difficult it will be for you and me to experience the fatherhood of God. The son realizes that he's lost that. So he says, I'm going to go back to that. And it says that was precipitated by coming to his senses. There's another way to say that. It's to feel the sting of sin. You know, when we sin and feel the consequences, there's two things we can do. We can try to numb it. It won't work. Or we can let it change us. It's our choice. In this moment, the son is letting it change him. You know, when I worked in the medical field, we learned that pain is a beautiful thing. 
If a person loses the ability to feel pain, you can't help them in their trauma because you can't diagnose them. But when they're feeling the pain, oh boy, now you can help. Now you can get on there and figure out what's wrong and start the healing process. The son is letting that happen. And notice what he says when he goes back. He says, Father, I have sinned. No excuses, no mitigating circumstances, no blaming the culture, the economy, the Democrats, the Republicans, my neighbor, my parents, my kids, no blaming anybody. Father, I have sinned. And he's not pleading his case. He's not saying, here's why I shouldn't be in this situation. No, he's owning it. He's owning it personally. When you and me do, we experience the fatherhood of God. We're going to see that in a moment. You say, I want to experience that. I know that I need that. Okay, understand. You will experience it when you own your sin. Maybe you've been resisting for a long time saying, you know what? I broke the rules, but I don't care. I don't agree with the rules. And then you're wondering why you're struggling. God says, well, that healing begins when you own it, when you say, I have sinned. And, and, and with that comes a profound humility. Listen to what the son says. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know what he's saying in that moment? He's saying, you know what? I rejected all your parenting, all your leadership, all your authority in my life. I, I rejected your boundaries, your rules, but now please start me back at square one. Please take me back and make me like one of your hired servants. I now realize there's so much I have to learn from you, and I'm willing to start at the very beginning. I'm willing to go back to the very beginning and, and be like a hired servant, because now I know your way is the right way. The good way. And so I'm, I'm willing to start back at the beginning. Friends, if you have rebelled against God, you begin to experience his fatherhood when you're willing to go back and start over again. You know, C.S. Lewis pointed out that when you take a wrong turn, the fastest way forward is to go back and take the right turn. It's not to wander around out there. He didn't have a cell phone, but you get my point, all right? You with me? So the idea is, that when we own that, and the, the, see what, what this son is doing is he's accepting discipleship. He's saying, you know what? Teach me. Restructure me. Lead me. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's doing that. He's saying, okay, I'm ready for that. Make me like one of your hired men. It's a huge attitude change, and it makes all the difference. And then, then, a beautiful thing happens. The son is honest. He's going back. He's humbled. And the scripture says in this moment, and this is the point of Jesus' story, the son discovers what was always true about his dad, but which he couldn't see. The scripture says, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, the son, the father saw him. That's an interesting detail. I read a commentary on this recently that said the phrase a long way off is significant. That the father saw him a long way off meant that the father was constantly searching and looking. The father was constantly watching the mountainside, the road down the way. He was constantly on the lookout. And so the minute the son came back, he spotted him. I find that fascinating. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, the significance of that phrase is lost on us in the 21st century. We don't realize the context in which Jesus spoke it. See, here's the deal. In that context, a father's authority over his household was absolute. Fathers don't run to their household. Their household runs to them. You, you don't 
You don't see a king running to his subjects. That's the background. No, no, no. The subjects go humbly to the king. They seek him. He doesn't seek them. And Jesus takes that picture and completely turns it upside down. The father runs to the son. He abandons his dignity, his position, his authority, his place. His passion for the son is so great that he abandons all of that. And he runs down the road. If you want to kind of get a contemporary picture of this, imagine that maybe it's the middle of the night and all he's got on is his boxers, but he doesn't care. He runs down the road to his daughter, to his son, and he throws his arm around them. He doesn't care that his hair's going every way and his face is smashed from the pillow. He doesn't care because his heart was always so given to the son. And so he becomes utterly undignified. You will discover the father heart of God for you when you go back to him with your confession, with your humility, and discover that he runs to you. This is a big deal. Uh, you know, from time to time in the church over the years, I've learned now the, the Holy Spirit just creates songs that are special for a season. We experience them all the time. Um, they, they become really important in our worship season. But I remember as a young believer, a song that opened me to the reality of this story. It was called When God Ran. And the words were so simple, I'm dating myself, but bear with me. Pretty soon you'll date yourself, so it doesn't matter. The song, the song starts out quiet and reverent. Almighty God, the great I am, omnipotent, powerful, awesome king, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror, and the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me took me in his arms, held my head to his chest and said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes. With forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, do you know I still love you? When God ran. That's the whole reason Jesus is telling this story. That you and me would know his heart, his father heart. In our failure, in our sin, despite all we've lost, despite all we've squandered, despite all we've thrown away, the minute we turn to him, he runs to us, all dignity abandoned. Church, that's how God feels about you. And that's what he wants you to know. It's what he wants you to experience. And it happens when you say, I'm ready for your household rules. My way isn't the good way. I'm seeking yours. Then we find him running to us. And we find the freedom of surrendering to his parenting. See, here's the thing. We've only got a few minutes left, so I can't really get into this. But when we know God's heart to us, we find the freedom to surrender to his parenting. There's a, a profound story in the scripture that, that most people hate, frankly. It's found way back in Genesis chapter 22. It's probably the least popular story in the whole Bible. And lots of people cite it as their reason for rejecting God. It's foolish because it means they, they're not paying attention and don't know what it means, what it's about. In Genesis chapter 22, we read the story about God coming to Abraham, the first man of faith. 
And Abraham has one child, a single child he's waited all his life for, Isaac. And God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me on the mountain. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, many people hear that story and they say, that's it, I'm out. If God is going to say something like that, I'm out. Well, first of all, that's the beginning of the story, not the end. If you want to understand the story, you need to listen to the whole story. The real shocking part isn't that God asks this. The shocking part is Abraham goes, okay. That's the horror in this story. See, Abraham had grown up in a culture, in a time, in a place when people thought that's what you do. Sometimes God asks you to sacrifice your kids to him, literally, physically. And the horror in the story is that Abraham goes, all right. And he heads up the mountain to sacrifice his son. Now, God meets him on top of the mountain. This is the whole story. And he goes, no, 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 don't ever do that, Abraham. The real God doesn't ask things like that. And he gives him instead a ram caught in the thicket to make the sacrifice, and he makes it. And the whole point of the story is God is saying, I'm not like those other religions say. I'm not the one who asks you to sacrifice your children. Put that out of your mind. Put that out of your heart. Instead, I'm the one you can trust with your greatest surrender and submission. I'm the one you can trust with your surrender. I wonder if there's something that you are clinging to like Abraham clung to his son. You put all your hope in it. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your achievements. Is there something you're clinging to and you know God is saying, I want you to surrender that to me, but you're afraid to trust him with it? This story is about the fact that you can. He gives Abraham back his son and gives Abraham a knowledge of God that he couldn't have got any other way. I'm not the one that asks you to sacrifice your children. The real God never does. Some people I've heard say, well, why didn't he just tell Abraham that at the outset? Really, is that how it works with your kids? You just tell them something one time and they're obedient forever after and they get it perfectly? I don't know what world you're living in. That's not how it works normally. And so God walks him through this experience and at the end, Abraham is the one rejoicing as he discovers the goodness of God. Church, God can save you even if you never learn to experience him as father, but he wants you to experience him as father because of the joy in it. My dad is passing away right now. It's any day. Uh, back and forth to the hospital, serious health problems. And Last weekend, Rhonda was down in Oregon and visiting with him and and she got to talking to him, says, what do you remember? What do you remember? And just trying to connect with dad here in these last few days. And, and my dad has always been very distant and very disconnected. You know, he's a child of his generation. He got teary-eyed and he said to Rhonda, he said, I remember when we went to the courthouse and Greg was adopted. And he said, I remember that he turned around and grabbed my pant leg and looked up at me and said, I'm glad that now I have a dad. He's never told me that story. Never. And when Rhonda told me that story, I was going, oh. I discovered something that was in him that I didn't know. That's what God wants you to discover about him. That he runs to you in an undignified way because he cares about you so much. Because he wants you to know him as father. And that happens when you own his household rules, when you humble yourself, when you say, God, teach me. God, parent me, father me. 
Church, this is an incredible discovery that God wants you to have. There's tremendous power in it. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do what this son did. Maybe you've done it before, but it's been a long time. He wants you to rediscover what it is to see God run towards you. Let me finish with a story, though. Kevin Young writes about visiting the adult Special Olympics one year and noticing two rows down in front of him a gray-haired man in a three-piece suit who kept jumping up and down and yelling down towards the track, Lenny, Lenny! (laughs) And after he had done this for a couple of minutes, a middle-aged guy with Down syndrome down on the track suddenly looked up and their eyes met and he said, Lenny! And Lenny said, Dad! They were getting set for the 400 meters and Lenny was going to participate in it. The gun went off. Everybody took off. And Lenny was in last place by a mile. His run was more of a shuffle. He couldn't stop shaking his hands. His head kept tipping to one side. And Kevin writes, I kept expecting him to fall over. But somehow he managed to keep going, but fell way, way behind. But three-piece suit man just kept shouting, great job, Lenny, way to go. Keep going, you're doing great. And he said, in that moment, I felt a wave of sadness. I felt sorry for thought to myself, this is all he's ever going to know because his son is so broken. When Lenny crossed the finish line, everybody else was finished and gone. But dad did something nobody else did. He hurried down through the stands, somehow got past security, ran out onto the track and hugged his son as he crossed the finish line and deliriously celebrated his participation. And he looked back at the crowd and shouted, Hey, guys, it's Lenny, my son. Awkwardly, the crowd started to applaud. People didn't know what to do. And Kevin said, In that moment, I heard God whisper to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Kevin, I know you feel like Lenny sometimes, but I feel about you like that man does because I'm a father, because I'm your father. And just because you believe, that's how I feel about you. And I'm always running towards you, and you are always mine. And Kevin said, the next thing I knew, I was bawling and realizing that I wasn't half the dad that man was and that I had never really known God is my father until maybe that moment. God wants you and me to know God as father. That's why the prophet Zechariah said, speaking with the father's voice, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. That's why John's gospel begins with the great declaration to as many as believed in him, to those who received him, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God sons and daughters, you and me. This morning, God wants you to receive that, to experience that. Maybe you need to say, God, I've been living outside your rules and I want to come back into your household. I want you back in charge of my friendships, back in charge of my sexuality, back in charge of my temper, my tongue, my finances. I want you back in charge of my fellowship and my worship. Just know this, in the moment 
in the moment you get that honest and real, he runs to you. And he wants to run to you this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, your living word. We thank you for your presence, your spirit who we feel. Jesus, we thank you for telling us this story that we might know God. And we pray, Lord, that we would never forget the image of you running to us. That we might know you as Father and that we might rest in it. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. This is real stuff. Real stuff. And it's God seeking you to know him as Father. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.